Well, again, good morning and so glad that you're here. Brad, thank you for those words and the reminder of what we proclaim. And all the clips you could have used for Dumb and Dumber. I'm glad you used that one. So, <laughs> that was so good. We landed on the moon, and that is perfect. And that's the joy we come to when we come to Scripture. We don't come to Scripture, and we don't come to church like it's a funeral. We know that the funeral was reversed, right? We know that the death that brought sorrow three days later brought life. And we are excited about that. And I know we struggle with that. We, we wrestle with that because we've been taught probably so much in our little tribe that you don't show joy and you don't show hope and you don't show that. We, we, we've been taught that God doesn't want that. Well, God does want that. He wants us to proclaim what is not sad news, but what is good news. And so there's some great news happening in our church. I failed to mention earlier, but a great new ministry is getting going called the Sons Program. It's a ministry that this church did years ago, hasn't done for quite a while. I, don't, I wasn't here when it was going, but um, it's getting started again. And Sons just stands for Serving Others' Needs. And uh, what it is is a ministry that helps uh, elderly in town, people that maybe are widowed or widowers and just need a little help. And if you'd like to maybe get connected on a one-on-one -on -one relationship with somebody that's uh, in town, that you can go check on them, help them, see if they have any needs. That's people within our church and people that don't attend here. Please talk to Heath Huffstetler, and he'll get you assigned somewhere. We already have a bunch of people that are part of that, and it's a great ministry. So please talk to Heath about that. So today we're circling back around. We took four weeks off our Mission Sunday. We're coming back to how we started the year. We started the year saying we are disciples of Jesus, and a disciple is somebody who looks like their teacher in everything that they do. And for us, we've centered around three big ideas, that we be with Jesus, that we become like Jesus, and we do what Jesus did. And today, we're going to come back around to that question, because as easy as it is to say those three things, it is a lifetime of process to become that. To actually put that on. We all are here by the grace of God. Amen? And we are all here in need of the transformation of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we're going to get in today back to the question of how do we change. So I want to pray over this time. I want to encourage you to follow along and take some notes. And I want to encourage you not to get frustrated when I don't give you a formula for how to connect with the Holy Spirit at the end of this. Because there is no such thing. I want to encourage you to be challenged in your relationship. And relationships do not require formulas. I want to challenge you in your relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, by your word today that we open, and it's a gift to us, and by the capital W word, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, Father, we ask for change. We ask for you to move. We ask, Father, that this teaching, uh, in some supernatural way, that is only by your power, gets deep within us and works on us. We pray this, God, because we all, like we just all proclaimed, we're here and we take the supper, not because we're told to, but because we need it. And we're told to because we need it. And we take it, Father, not out of legalistic approach, but we take it because we want it. We want to be changed. We're here by grace and we're changed by love. So love us, God, and change us. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So middle-aged man, uh, 
finally saved up enough money to buy kind of his dream home. It was big, it was open, his family could run around, it had land on it, and his dream, his idea was more not about the house, but it was about being able to build a big garden. He always wanted to have a garden where he had fruits and vegetables to be able to feed his family, kind of be able to live off the land. So as soon as spring hit, he got to work, and he built this immaculate, huge garden. It's full of vegetables and fruits, everything you could ever want. He got it going, and he was so excited to see that just within a few weeks, he already had little plants coming up and little stalks of corn coming up, and everything was working out great until, of course, the bugs came in and the critters came in, and... His frustration started to rise as he noticed that every little fruit that he had had some kind of a bite taken out of it. So he did what you do. He built a fence. He built a little fence, thought it could keep the rabbits out, thought it could keep things out, but it wasn't enough. He got that fence built, and it still was allowing in rabbits and deer and all kinds of things, and his garden kept suffering. So he did what you do. He got a little more frustrated with it, and he built a bigger fence, an even stronger fence, a higher fence. But it still didn't work. He noticed just a couple weeks later that deer were still able to jump over the fence and rabbits were doing some things. And he noticed that they were animals that were just digging holes underneath his fence. So he went scorched earth and decided to dig a foundation and build a brick wall. And he put it all the way around his garden. He did this, of course, without thinking because he went on vacation for a week and then came back and checked on his garden and he realized everything was wilted, wilted because he had built the fence so high that the sun could not get into his garden. He was so frustrated because he learned that boundaries, they will keep things out, but they will keep another few things in. That is a truth we need to hear. Boundaries are a good thing. In fact, they're even essential. But boundaries and rules in our lives are not enough to produce the fruit we need in Jesus. Building walls and fences in our life and having boundaries to be healthy is good. But the Christian walk is not an outside-in journey. We cannot become the disciples of Jesus that we're called to be by simply doing outside things. Church going, going through the motions, having moral rules, they are not enough. They are good, but they are not enough. A Christian does not grow and does not transform by building fences and walls. Jesus transforms inside out, heart first, Mind, soul, body, strength, everything else. So today, we're going to come back around. If we are living the way of Jesus, we've got some changing to do, and we're going to ask that question, how can we become like Jesus? How can we do what Jesus did? And how does, primarily, God change us? Because Jesus wants inside-out transformation, work that goes beyond what I can do. I can set rules, I can set boundaries in my life, but it is not enough. There is an inescapable reality, the one that we keep saying, you are being formed, you are being changed, you may not know it, you may not even perceive it, but your habits and your relationships and the things that you believe and repeat are forming you. This happens either intentionally or, other, uh, or unintentionally. 
And we're going to look today at how we can intentionally be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Discipleship, church, is the process of being formed into the likeness of Jesus. This is what we're talking about. It's what we're going to talk about for a couple more weeks. But discipleship, while it is a lifelong process, is not a one-way adventure. I am not fully responsible for my discipleship. Discipleship is a process, but it is also a partnership. It's a partnership. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 3.9. He says, we are God's fellow workers. God's field, God's building. In other words, God is partnered with us. He is changing us. He's discipling us. We are God's fellow workers. And so we are people who live in partnership in our discipleship with Jesus. And are we and we can be changed through that partnership. Now that is either intentional or unintentional as I said. There's habits that you can be a part of that change you. There are habits unintentionally that you are part of that change you. And they're in your life daily. So what we're going to do is work on that partnership. What is our part and what is God's part? Now I want to give you this. It's not 50-50. Transformation is much more God's realm than it is ours. But we still have a part. Because transformation and change works like this, from God's perspective. Without God, we can't change. But without us, God won't change us. Without God, we can't. Without us, God won't. I want you to hear that. Because God wants everybody in here to grow. He wants to see us do our part in growth. But He is not here to microwave your transformation. God is not going to fast forward you. He's not going to give you a free pass to the end of the line or the start of the line. He's not just going to make it happen. Spiritual growth takes partnership. It takes leaning into the tension of what is mine to do and how do I open my life up to what is God's to do. You have to be willing you have to create habits. And God says, if you'll do that, he will give us transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're headed today. We're going to go quick. We're going to get into a couple passages. But first, I want you to know this truth. We struggle with transformation. Amen? Anybody in here, show of hands, still surprised by a part of your life that hasn't been transformed yet? <laughs> okay. Three or four of us. All right. Okay. Very good. Let's do that again. Show of hands if you still are holding on to something you didn't want to hold on to five years ago. All right. Okay. Thank you. Good grief. All right. We look charismatic if we raise our hands. You know? <laughs> all right. We all want to change. We all want to change. And so here's the truth about us. We speak in godly terms, but unfortunately, we hold back our partnership from God because we focus in other direction. Focus, though, determines our destination. That's what we're going to center our lives around this morning. It's what Scripture is going to center around. It's how focus determines our destination. 
It's not enough to speak in godly terms if the rest of our week is focused somewhere else. It's not enough to come in here and say, all hail the power of Jesus' name, and then the rest of our week has nothing to do with the power of Jesus. Right? So focus determines our destination. And so we're going to go to a passage in the Old Testament, an obscure passage that's going to speak into a passage in the New Testament. So if you're following along with me, go to Exodus 34. And I want you to see what the New Testament's going to do with this passage to show us how God uses the Holy Spirit in partnership with us to change us in ever-increasing ways. Exodus 34, this little passage after the second giving of the Ten Commandments. Here is what happens. All right, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, that's the Ten Commandments, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. So he comes down and he's, he's really shining, right? When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. This was not just he had gone to the spa and got a facial. This is like a moment of like terrifying because he looked so different. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given them on Mount Sinai. So he told them what was on the tablets. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Now, in this story, Moses has an encounter with the living God, right, up on the mountain. And in this encounter, his face becomes like a million candle spotlight. It's shining bright, and it freaks the people out. But it's so bright that he has to decide to put a veil over his face. It's like looking into the sun when you try to drive west near, near dusk and near the sun's going down in the Texas Panhandle. Y'all ever made the mistake of like, let's go to Amarillo at five in the afternoon, <laughs> you know? And you're like, good night, you know? And you can't see. That's what we're experiencing here with Moses' face. The people needed to put on sunglasses, but since they didn't have that, Moses put on a veil. But I want you to notice this and answer out loud for me. Who here in this story, has access to God? Who gets the glory of God resting on them? Who had a radiant face? Only Moses, right? Who else? Nobody. So Moses gets this experience. His face comes down shining, and then over time it fades, and then he goes back on the mountain or goes to the tent of meeting, and it's bright again. And he does this throughout, throughout your Old Testament, especially in Exodus. Now, I want you, with that passage in mind, and with the idea of only Moses gets this, you need to hear the words of Paul. Because Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18, is speaking directly to this passage. He says this, Now if the ministry that brought death, which he's talking about the law, the law brought death because it brought about uh, knowledge of the ways we do things wrong. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, think about Moses carrying down tablets, came with glory so that the Israelites could not steadily look at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, 
how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison to the, with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory, Moses' face, came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, he's talking about what we have now in God and the Spirit, this good news, this gift, we're not like Moses. We have this hope, so we're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But when anyone, or whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Verse 17, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then verse 18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now there's a lot there. But here's what Paul says. Paul is saying, when Moses met on the mountain, there was a weight there was a wait, not like a waiting time, but a wait like something, LBS, pounds, <laughs> kilograms. There was something that happened. There was a weight of glory. Now, in the Old Testament, that idea in the Hebrew is called the Shekinah of God, the hovering presence of God, that to be in the presence of God is to be changed. I get in the presence of God, and I feel the weight of that presence. He's saying when Moses was in that place and he had the Shekinah, that was a presence and that glory rested on him. It's shown through his face. But immediately, after he got out of that presence, what would happen to Moses' face? It would fade. The glory would fade. Now he's saying, and you need to hear this, he's saying, now in Christ, if you thought that was great, it's so much greater now in Christ for those of us who have the Holy Spirit. We now share in the weight of that glory, not in decreasing ways, but in increasing ways. In ever-increasing ways. It's what he's saying. In other words, church, and get this, oh my goodness, this is so good. I wish I could, I wish I could fully understand the truth of this. This is one of those passages that's like so mind-blowing, it's hard to get our head around. We're going to look at it here in just a second, a little deeper. But he's saying, church, we live in relationship with the glory of God, the Holy Spirit, who is a he, a person, not an it, and who shines in us and through us. And the more time we spend with that spirit, the more we reflect the shining of the Lord's glory. Or put another way, we're being transformed. But we're going to look a little deeper at verse 18. This last line, he says, We all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, I asked you earlier, who got to be in the presence of God in Exodus 34? The answer was Moses. But what does he say here? Who now gets to climb the mountain? Who now gets to be in the presence of God? What's he say? Verse 18. We all, right? This isn't one person getting to be there. It's not just Moses. We have all been brought into that presence through the Holy Spirit. 
We've been calling this series Living the Way of Jesus. And many of us, and I, I included, often think about ourselves, yeah, living the way of Jesus. Yeah, right. I mess up. I'm a sinner. I can't do that. I'm too sinful. I'm too messed up. I can't live or be like Jesus. Or that was then. The church can't do those things now. We're not really filled with the Spirit that way. But guys, lean into Paul here. What he's saying is so incredible. What he's saying is the access Moses had to God, you have. Do you hear that? But he's also saying you have it even better, right? Because, first prop here, I've got a few props today. Moses experienced God as a day crescendo, right? He got glory and then it went, woo, right? It faded. It went down. But what does Paul say here? It's even better. You have access to God as Moses had, but it works, hit myself in the face, it works as a crescendo. It's an ever-increasing glory. That the more you spend time, the more Jesus comes out of you. You with me on that? Now that's good news, right? That's really good news. That is what Paul is saying. He's saying mind-blowing things. That's today's big idea. We speak in godly terms. We have this amazing ministry of the Spirit in us, ready to transform us. We know that, but we focus in other directions. And our focus, unfortunately, sometimes determines a poor destination. What Paul is saying, in other words, is God has done his part. He has given us his Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom from sin and freedom for a new life, a freedom to proclaim. Brad and I didn't even join and think about each other's talks this morning, but Brad was preaching what I was preaching, what I was planning to preach this morning, that we are in the presence of God, and, the, and that is something to proclaim. God has done the heavy lifting. He's forgiven us. He's cleansed us. And he's given us his Spirit as a seal of our salvation but we still have a part to live out. Without God, we can't change. Without us, he won't. And I want you to know that this isn't a mystery. I don't know how to describe this probably as well as I'd like to, but what Paul says is he's not saying, hey, transformation's some mystery. I used to think that it was. I used to think transformation was like having this bandana on my eyes, right? That I had blind faith. That I didn't really know what God was going to do in my life, and I didn't know what was next in my life, and, well, I just have to trust, I just have to have blind faith. And what I was doing in that thinking, and what we're all doing in that thinking, is really just doing like Moses. I spend a little time with God, but then I put a veil back over my face. I put a block over my face, and I think, well, that's not for me, or that's for somebody else, or whatever I think of. Well, that's, that's somebody else's job. And we don't let God do the transformation in us, because what we're, what we're doing is not doing our part. We may be believing the promises of God, but we're not walking by them. See, faith in Jesus is not blind faith, it's active faith. It's active faith. I have no doubt where the world's heading to. I don't have blind faith in God. I have active faith that God has always fulfilled every promise he's ever made, and so therefore I can trust every promise that has not yet been fulfilled. 
right? So what I do then in that is I learn to focus in the right direction. I bridge the gap that exists between who I am and who I want to be and what God has already done and how much I'm letting him do that. I bridge that gap with living into what Paul says here in verse 18. He says, we all live unveiled and we contemplate the Lord's glory. Now the answer to every one of us, you want to live by the power of the Holy Spirit? It's right here. And I know some of us are like, give me a formula, Jake. Give me a formula. Give me something to do. I'm going to give you something to do. You need to learn to contemplate the Lord's glory. That's what Paul says. He says, everybody that contemplates does what? Is being transformed into an ever-increasing glory to look like Jesus. And what's interesting about this word contemplate is it's the only time this appears in the New Testament Greek. One time. And what the word means is actually so unique. It's this word that actually means to stare into a mirror. That we look at ourselves and stare and see if Jesus shows up. I contemplate the Lord's glory. Which is an interesting word to use because in the ancient world, the, the biggest export of the city of Corinth, where he writes this to, was guess what? Bronze mirrors. So Paul uses this word on purpose to go, you guys know all about mirrors. You want to change, contemplate. Stare into a mirror. So, I want to show you what that looks like. Got a little mirror here. I can sh see if so who's asleep in here. I'm going to lie here. To Chaz, how you doing? All right, all right. <laughs> Chaz is actually looking at me. You weren't asleep. Thank you, Chaz. All right. Huh? Huh? <laughs> Here's what he's saying to do. When we look into a mirror, we often, at my age, have existential crises, right? <laughs> How do I get so gray? You know, and why is my nose hair so long? You know, I mean, that's what we do, right? Nobody told me I had lipstick on my teeth. I didn't, but if you're a woman, right? Why, why do I look this way, right? God, what are the deal with the bags under my eyes? You know, that's what we do when we look into a mirror. You guys get that, right? I had my, one of my... Uh, one of our illustrious teenagers the other day was sitting behind me on a Wednesday night. I won't name his name, Cameron Cavalier. And he said, he said, man, you got a lot of gray hair. <laughs> like, thank you. Appreciate that. I said, you want a lot of gray hair? Go into ministry. So, but here's what this saying is. This is what he's saying. We don't look in a mirror to pick ourselves apart as we do. The greatness of this passage and this message is that there's a treasure. That we've received a greater glory than Moses. And so that when we look into a mirror, the more the comp we can contemplate the fact that even though this body is wasting away, and even though this, this person and your, your person and your body is wasting away, God has chosen to partner with you and give you his best gift, the Holy Spirit. And the more I contemplate that, the more I think about that, the more I start to make that a truth in my life, the more I contemplate and stare into the mirror and say, where is Jesus showing up? Where am I showing the light of the glory of God in my life? Then guess what? The more I am transformed. Because the more I contemplate that, the more I'm saying to God is, I am willing. I am open. 
I am ready. God's part will then be done. When we are willingly opening our lives to what is already true, then we can be changed into what God already wants. And what God wants and what is true is that he wants to use you, us, to be his glory on earth. Right? That's what he wants. God's goal is not to save you and then say, hey, hang out for a little bit so you can go to heaven when you die. God's goal is to save you so you can represent his glory on earth so you can go to heaven when you die. So i got to ask you a question. We become what we behold. We become what we behold. We will portray what we perceive, what I stare at. So what are you beholding? You want to change. It really just comes down to how much am I opening my life in Scripture and in prayer and in fasting and in connection with other brothers and sisters and in ministry. How much am I opening my life to what God wants to do? So a woman who lived many years ago, she lived in this remote part of the American West, and electricity was a brand new invention. But she had saved up enough money, and she had seen it in stores when she would go into town, but her, her, her cabin was out pretty far, out in the prairie, and, and it, was, it was pretty hard to get electricity to her. But she saved up, and she paid the electric company to come out and install electricity in her home. She made it happen. They put a meter up. They did all the things that they do, and it was exciting. So several weeks later, uh, one of the workers from the electric company came by, and he had noticed that she hadn't been using very much electricity, that her meter, as as he came by and read her meter, that she hadn't been using very much. So he knocked on her door and wanted to ask her if there was a problem. He said, ma'am, I want to just know if if everything's okay. I noticed you haven't been using much electricity. We kind of can monitor that. And the woman replied and said to her, oh, no, 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 there's no problem with electricity. Every night, my family gathers around and we turn on the lights so that we can light our oil lamps. And then we turn them off. Now, that's who we often are. We're often like that with the Holy Spirit. We turn to God for him to save us. And we focus on him. We're speaking godly terms. But then we focus in other directions. We turn to him to save us, but we don't turn to him to sustain us. We turn to him to get us started in the way of Jesus, but we don't turn to him to be continued in the strength of Jesus. And so transformation, church, is not a formula. It's a contemplation. It's centering your lives. It's not balancing your lives. I hate that term. Let me balance my life. You know what you're going to do if you balance your life? You're going to just keep putting more and more stuff in it. But if you center your lives around Jesus Christ, then you start to get clear about what you need to focus on and what you don't. Look at this passage. As we look into a mirror, this is the way it works according to Paul. He says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, when we let God's glory shine in us, when we contemplate the Lord's glory, when we spend time with Jesus, when we do the things that Christians are to do, He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, 
a kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And then he says this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I want you to notice something here. And that is this, is that there's no command there other than one. The command here, although we've probably taught it this way and maybe you've heard it this way, the command isn't be fruitful. The command is you're going to be fruitful if you keep in step with the Spirit. There's only one command in that whole thing. And I've often looked at that passage and gone, man, I'm not doing too good. I don't have much love, joy, peace, or patience in my life, or kindness, or goodness, or faithfulness, or gentleness. And I certainly struggle with self-control because I kind of do what I want. And I think, man, i got to do better at this. But the answer is not me doing better. The answer is I need to contemplate the life of Jesus more. I need to stare into the mirror of Jesus and look at my life and see where I'm not open to the life of Jesus. Because my job and my command is not to produce fruit. My command is keep in step with the Spirit. And then what does he do? He produces fruit. It's not the fruit of Jake. It's not the fruit of the Canadian Church of Christ. What is it? It's the fruit of the Spirit. You with me? So we contemplate. We contemplate the Lord's glory. We spend time with him. And guys, if you've been in church a long time, and I'm not picking on you for this, but if you've been in church a long time, reading one verse a day is great, but it's really not Bible reading. Uh, (laughs) I mean, one verse is awesome, but usually those are taken out of context. Verse of the day is almost always out of context. Um, You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 for I know the plans I have for you, blah, 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 you know, plans to prosper you. That's, that's, that has a context. Unless you're a Babylonian exile, that really doesn't apply to your life, okay? <laughs> All right, oh, you're, Jake, you're destroying my kitchen today. All right, I've got that on the wall. Well, that's awesome if you find hope in that passage, but there's context there. In other words, what I'm saying is spend time with God. And if, you've been a, and if you're a new Christian, five minutes a day is awesome. If you've been in church for 40 years, maybe it's time to grow. Maybe it's time to grow up. Maybe it's time to center your life around Jesus. If you've been in this church and you're a pew sitter, maybe it's time to center your life around Jesus and contemplate what God wants you to do. Not what this church wants you to do or what Jake wants you to do or the elders want you to do, but contemplate what God wants you to do so that the fruit of the Spirit can come out of you. Right? That's what this passage is about. We keep in step with the Spirit. Or the way I like to say it is, there's no formula. There's no formula. What I do is I turn my sails every day to God. If I'm going to be a Christian, I'm not talking about me, I'm using I in general. I, us. If I'm going to be transformed into the way of Jesus... I don't do A plus B equals C or 1 plus 1 equals 2. What I do is every morning I turn my sails. Because John 3 tells us that the Spirit blows where it wants to. And I'm not in control where the Holy Spirit blows. So what I do every morning is I get up and I get into Scripture and I say something like this. Just for instance, this isn't exactly what I say. This is a generic saying. God, your will be done. Whatever you want to do through me today... I'm ready to do. Whatever good work you have for me today, I'm ready to step into. Help me keep in step with your spirit 
and let that produce fruit. See what I'm doing? I'm turning my sails. And the more I do that, guess what happens? The more my face and my life shines like Jesus. Y'all with me on that? So you want to change? Who in here needs a little change in their life? Woo! Right? Turn your sails. Let's start turning our sails. I love going to Arms of Hope. I love going to Arms of Hope because it reminds me that God's way out in front of me. It reminds me that he is rescuing people and saving people that I've never met. It reminds me that cutting down a tree or laying a floor, flooring for somebody may, that nobody may ever know that Mario and Gladine worked their tails off for that. If you ever need a floor done, just talk to Gladine. <laughs> She's pretty good at that. Um, but in Arms of Hope, what I'm reminded of every year is that's going to bless some single mom who's walking out of homelessness or drug addiction and walks into that nice new office. And their life's going to be changed. So this week I met a little girl. She's 12 years old. And she's a resident of Arms of Hope. She's been on campus since September. And she has no one. Over spring break, she's there when we're there. Over Christmas, she's there. When all the other kids get to go see aunts and uncles and grandparents, she has nobody. Campus minister told me nobody calls her, nobody connects with her. She's alone. And that's sad, except that there's a bunch of people that have turned their sails to say, I will let the Holy Spirit use me. And I wanted to bring that little girl home with me and say, see, and, and just be like, all right, what would it be like to raise two 12-year-olds in the house? Her and Coleman, let's see how that goes. <laughs> but the campus minister, he told me, he said, she's exactly where God has her for a reason. And she'll be here through graduation, and we're going to put her through college, and God has completely changed the direction of her life because somebody turned their sails. And guys, that can happen in everybody's life in here. You believe that? We continue to turn ourselves, and God does miraculous things. My part's tiny. God's part is supernatural. It's incredible. If you need that, if you need to turn your cells today, oh, there's so many ways to do that, through prayer, through baptism, saying I'm all in, that's a big turning of your cells. We're here for you. Our elders will be in the back if you want to go talk to them. We'll have a couple of them in the foyer. If a couple of elders want to go to the foyer, we want to pray over you. We want to lead you towards a relationship with Jesus, not because we have the answers, but because we're turning ourselves to the ones that do, the one who does. Let's stand together and sing.